and our title is What the World Needs is Love. If you would like to have one of these booklets, they are available in the lobby following the service. The page from the booklet reminds us of that popular song that is sung in the world, What the World Needs is Love. When the world speaks about love, they usually speak of it in a different way than we would speak of it from the pulpit of this church. Because the love the world manifests is usually based on emotion. The love that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount is based upon your will, not on your emotion. So with that in mind, let us look at verses 43 through 48, adding to the verses that we have already read, printed on the back of your bulletin today. Matthew 5:43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. Then you might add the word why at this point. Right after verse number 44, put the word why. That ye may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them who love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the tax collectors the same? And if ye greet your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the heathen so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. And we might add two words there, in love. Be ye perfect in love, even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect in love. Now, let's pick up a couple of those verses from the back of the bulletin that have been used for emphasizing the theme of the morning. Romans 12, 9 and 10. Didn't you just love this? Don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. And here's a message to all of us in the family of God. Love each other with brotherly affection and take delight in honoring each other. And then 1 John 3, 17 and 18 let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. Let's hold on to those verses especially. Now, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount introduces a new element into ethical behavior. No one had ever taught like this before. No one in history had ever said the things that Jesus said in this sermon. This is a whole new approach to human behavior. 
ethical behavior. This is not the natural course of action for man, the action Jesus is referring to. It is not at all. Only the disciple of Jesus Christ can live by the standard he sets forth in this fifth chapter of Matthew. That's why this subject of love fits the theme of discipleship, because it's possible only by being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make a statement. I hope it shocks some of you. If you do not manifest love, you're not really born again. If you do not manifest love, the kind of love Jesus is referring to, you're not really born again. You're still living according to the standard of the world and the standard of man. Only the disciple of Jesus Christ can live by this standard. What Jesus is referring to for all of us in this passage is that we might be an extension of his love. That's all. Just an extension of his love, of his compassion, and the way he would treat people in this world. You're familiar with the Greek words that are usually used when the subject of love comes up. The word agape, a love which is an act of the will more than an act of the heart. That is what agape love is. You choose to love. That is the Greek meaning of agape. It is not how you feel. It is an act of your will. You choose to love your wife. You choose to love your husband. You choose to love your neighbor. You choose to love Russians and Chinese and Cubans and Hispanics and blacks. You choose to do it because that is Christ's way. It is agape, unconditional love. There is, of course, eros or phileo, love. Now, the meaning of those words is simply natural affection. It has nothing to do with the will, really. It has everything to do with emotion. That's why it is so important for us to dissect these meanings and talk about agape love, not eros or phileo love. I am not here today to give you a discourse on natural affection. I am here to preach to you about agape, unconditional, will kind of love. That's the love the world needs, and that's the love the world doesn't usually see. What the world needs is agape, love in Christ's sense kind of thing. Not something you feel, but something you do. You even open your life in the Spirit of Christ to your enemies. Isn't that incredible? To those who despitefully use you, on the job, even in family settings, wherever, even in the church, 
where you're not treated as you think you should be treated, the love the world wants to see, the world needs manifest, is the love where you open your life in the Spirit of Christ even to your enemies. Now, that's my introduction. Two main points to my sermon today. Number one, love equals action. Love equals action. Love is not passive. Love is not status quo. Love is always moving. Love is always active. Get your finger in 1 Corinthians 13 now, if you will, because we're going to be referring to the great love chapter for some illustrative material. Love can only be described by observing it in action. How do my grandchildren know that I love them? When grandpa displays love to them, that's how they know. How will the world know that we love them when there is the opportunity to observe love in action. Agape is not romantic or sexual love. That's what's wrong with so many relationships today. Those relationships are based on the wrong thing. It is a shifting, sandy foundation. Agape love is not romantic or sexual. It is, again, an act of a person's will. Agape isn't just tolerance. It's an act of self-sacrifice. It is reaching out, not just putting up with. That's the 1 Corinthians 13 declaration of the Apostle Paul under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. All gifts, however excellent, are nothing without what? Love, a demonstration of. You can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but if you do not have love, you are nothing. You can prophesy, you can give your body to be burned, but if you do not have love, it is zero. It is not agape, self-sacrificing love. Language without love is nothing, is the first part of 1 Corinthians 13. You can talk until you're blue in the face, but if it does not have self-sacrificing love, it's nothing. Prophecy without love is nothing. Knowledge without love is nothing. It's right there in 1 Corinthians 13. Faith without love is nothing. Benevolence without love is nothing. Martyrdom without love is nothing. Giving your body to be burned. Martyrdom is nothing without true agape kind of love. Well, what is it? It's patient. It's kindness. Love is not envying. I want what he has, I want what she has, or I wish he didn't have it, or I wish she didn't have it. When you feel those kinds of things, Rising in your spirit, my friend, you had better question your relationship 
with Jesus Christ, the giver of agape love, because love is patient. It doesn't fly off the handle, mothers. Love is kindness, men. It's not dressing the lady down. Words that cut and maim and divide. Love is kindness. It's a demonstration of Jesus Christ who never cuts us down, always lifts us up. Oh, it's one thing to stand in the sanctuary on Sunday and sing praise to God. It's another thing at home to love with patience and with kindness. It's another thing in the world in which we live to move without envy because somebody moves ahead of us or somebody has something we would like to have to love without envying them or their position or what they possess. Agape. There are some good examples in the Bible. Cain, for one. Cain became jealous of Abel's sacrifice. He did not love this way. He envied and murdered. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, and they connived his sale to heathen people, and Joseph survived even through the envy and the hatred of his own brothers. But what a tragedy for a family to have that kind of an experience. Twenty years of separation because of the envy of the brothers. Love does not brag. 1 Corinthians 13 says, I looked that word up and I found out something interesting. You know what it means? It means windbag. Love is not a windbag. So if you know such people, just remind them of that, will you? Love does not brag. Love is not a windbag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked, meaning a sudden outburst. You see, you thought that was hereditary. Love is not easily provoked. Love does not have sudden outbursts of temper and of anger. Agape love, I'm talking about. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. I can't speak to him. I won't speak to her. They have done me wrong. Love does not take into account wrong suffered. Agape love. Matthew 5 kind of love does not hold grudges, does not carry chips on the shoulder. What the world needs is that kind of love. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. In other words, if you are thinking you're getting away with sin, nobody else knows. Love does not rejoice at unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? Love, Christ's kind, does not rejoice just because you think you're getting away with something. True love sends you to your knees in repentance, an act of the will. And then on the other side, how do you react toward other sins? When you hear of a divorce, of a person's failure, how do you react? 
Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love feels the hurt of it. Love drives us to pray for those who are caught in acts of unrighteousness and ungodliness. Love does not get on the telephone and say, have you heard the latest news? Have you heard about the preacher who was unfaithful? Have you heard about the businessman who just got caught for cheating on his income tax? That's not love. Love does not rejoice in others' failures. Oh, that that message would get through to the church of Jesus Christ. I have seen it so many times where people are almost clapping their hands because somebody failed. It's almost like I told you so. I told you so. I knew it would happen. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Agape. Christ's kind of wonderful love. You see, all the way through that chapter in 1 Corinthians, it's action, and it's what the world needs. For one week and a couple of days, my wife and I were privileged to spend time with my brother and his wife in Paraguay and to minister to the Macaw Indians that they have ministered to for over 25 years, and to see a miracle with our own eyes, a missionary story that I have not seen the likes of anywhere in the world. A week ago, Wednesday night, I walked into the building they use in the Macaw village as their church, and I almost fell over. Wall to wall! people. My brother said to me, only believers come to church, so you know that all of these are believers. Now, I had heard him talk about it, but I had it right in front of me there, and I just was almost overwhelmed. For you see, when they went to the Makai Indians, being unable to speak their language, no white man except my brother and his family speaks the language, lived in their village for 12 years before a convert ever was brought into the family of God, learned the language, wrote primers, taught them how to take care of themselves. There were three to four hundred tribes people when he went there. There are now 630. They were dying off like flies until he taught them how to take care of themselves and ministered to them through medicine until he could minister the Word. Loved them, lived in the middle of their village, taught them, cried with them, buried them, put up with their witchcraft and their idolatry, their drinking and their sin. But now there are over 500 baptized believers in that Macaw village, and there are only 630 of them. And when I walked in there to preach to them, it was almost more than I could handle. And I had to ask, how? And there was only one answer, love. 
to walk with my brother and to hear him talk about those Indians is a demonstration of agape love. There is nothing lovable about those conditions. They still live in huts on dirt floors with an open fire in the middle. I'll show you pictures in a couple weeks of it. Nothing there to love in the natural. Heathen. But that village is filled with love. Last Tuesday morning before we left, the tribe asked my wife and I if we would come to the village for they wanted to make some presentations to us. We arrived in the middle of the village, got out of the car, and they began to come and began to drape things over our necks. Necklaces, pieces that they had knit together meaningful to them, some things with teeth in them, horse teeth, pig's teeth. I mean, and then they put headdresses on us with feathers. One after another they came bestowing their gifts until we look like a menagerie. <laughs> then the leaders of the village wanted us to follow them and we went from tent to tent to tent to tent. We arrived at 9 a.m., left at 12.30. Tent to tent, family to family, and they would come out and bestow more gifts upon us. I have five sets of bows and arrows. <laughs> and then we came to the part of the village where the unbelievers are. And I said, Marvin, did you plan them to live separately? He said, no. It's just the way their culture works. They set this up all by themselves. And we came to a tent. A gentleman I would estimate in his 60s emerged. I learned his name was Gonzales, the witch doctor. My brother introduced my wife and I to him, and I clasped his hand and then began to observe something very unusual. He began to mutter, looking off into space, just muttering to himself. Then he spoke to Marvin in Macaw, and then disappeared into his tent. My brother said, he wants to give you something, and he said, Glenn, I can't even believe this is happening. He emerged from the tent with this piece of goods in his hand. I extended my wrist at the direction of my brother, and he tied this around my wrist. The witch doctor. My brother was saying to me, that is his most prized possession. I cannot believe he would give that away. That is unbelievable. It has never happened in this tribe. I have never seen this. I don't even know what's going on. When he tied it on me, we embraced. Me, with a witch doctor. <laughs> he wanted pictures. We clasped hands and took pictures of this token of acceptance. 
When we got home, it was lunchtime, and we sat to eat, and my brother bowed to pray and began to weep because of this miracle. You see, Gonzales is the last bastion of the 100-plus that are not yet saved. My brother said, if he comes in, all the rest will be in. He's the one that's fought me the most. He's driven me from the village. He wanted to kill me. But he said, Glenn, as I stood there, I saw the spirit of love battling the spirit of darkness, and love won. He said his muttering was a reaction to what he felt in your spirit. I couldn't communicate to him. All I could do was shake his hand and look into his eyes. But he began to mutter like an idiot. Why? Because light penetrates darkness and love overcomes hate every time. And we rejoice at the lunch table because we believe in our heart that Gonzales will soon be in that church with the rest, worshiping the God of love who sent his Son that we might be redeemed. You'd better believe I cherish this little piece of goods. And I pray that even today, old Gonzales will come to know the Savior that we know without language capability. Only a spirit that has been touched by God's Spirit a man was confounded and the wicked world bowed to the world of light and the world of hope. I picked up my testament a couple days later reading and came across the 16th verse of Matthew 4, the chapter before the Sermon on the Mount, and I read with great understanding, the people that sat in darkness saw great light and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. I understood it. I understood it. What the world needs is love. Active, agape love. Is Jesus Christ so in you? that that spirit communicates to the world. Love is action. Then secondly, I was arrested by the words in the last of chapter 5 on the subject of love. Be perfect in the same way the Father is perfect. And I thought, how could I be like the Father? And then I read it in the context that it sets. It's in the context of love. It's in that passage dealing with how you treat your enemies, how you treat those that wrongfully use you. And there it made sense. Be perfect in the same way the Father is perfect in love. 
Jesus bases his call to love on the very nature and practice of the Father. Verse 45 of Matthew 5. God treats his enemies and friends alike in his glorious providence. Isn't that marvelous? If you're here today as a sinner, God treats you just like he does the Christian. In love. He is not here to condemn you. The Bible says so. He is not here to send you to hell. You'll send yourself there if you go there. God responds to you as a sinner the same way He responds to us in loving, gracious kindness. Be ye perfect in love even as the Father is perfect in love. Hallelujah. To treat others as they have treated us is to act on the same level as the sinners of the world. God never acts that way just because the world has mistreated Him and crucified His Son. God does not act in hatred. He acts in love, only love. Jesus removes the fences by His grace. Jesus breaks down the walls. He shows us that loving our enemies is of God. Be perfect in love, even as the Father is perfect in love. His perfect love is without discrimination. He loves all people. He loves all Gonzales out there. He loves every color of man. If you are a discriminator, you need to get back to the cross and be perfect in love, even as the Father is perfect in love. There is no discrimination here, as far as I'm concerned. We are one together in the Lord. Color, background, it does not matter. We want to be like the Father who does not see color, who does not see the background, who does not read the pedigree. God is not a discriminator. Aren't you thankful for that? His perfect love is without compromise. Principles of love are not altered by different social groups or by different places. God's kind of love is perfect. So the role of a Christian is that of a peacemaker. In his home, on his job, in his church, you love people into submission. That's what you do. You love them into submission. A visitor once asked Robert E. Lee, the great Confederate leader, what he thought of a certain individual. Lee replied, I think he is a very fine gentleman. The visitor then said, General, he goes around saying some very uncomplimentary things about you. What do you think about that? Well, he said, you didn't ask me what he thought of me. You asked me what I thought of him. The general would not stoop to pettiness. What a message to the church. Love your enemies. What else? Bless them. What else? Pray for them. You mean that enemy out there in business who's getting my clients? Yes. Pray for them. Bless them. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale told a story one time of a businessman who came to him whose life was failing, his business was not doing well, and he was filled with hate and contentment for his business competitors. And Dr. Peale said, here's your answer. You want spiritual power? Yes, sir, give it to me. He said, here it is, love your enemies. 
He said, how can I love them? I hate them. He said, here's how. Every day, three times a day, you have to ask the Lord to help those fellows and love those fellows and give them a bigger year in business than you have yourself. The response of that businessman filled with hate was in a shout, I refuse to do it. And Dr. Peel said, well, if you want spiritual power, you will have to do it. Finally, he went home and tried to pray for those so-and-sos, in his words, and just couldn't do it. The next morning, he couldn't do it. At noon, he couldn't do it. But by night, he knelt down and said, Lord, bless those fellows, and he named each one of them by name, and give them a bigger business this year than you give me. <laughs> then he said, Lord, don't pay any attention to me. I don't need a word of it. <laughs> the Lord must smile at things like that. <laughs> then he finally said, in submission, Okay, Lord, I don't mean it, but I wish you would make me mean it. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? He struggled for a week. Then suddenly it came. Happiness came to his life. He said it was like a great hand came down and took away from his mind the heavy weight that had been there. After praying three times a day for those so-and-sos, naming them by name, happiness came to his bosom. He was free! And he was able to be perfect in the same way the Father in heaven is perfect. I want to be that way. That's what the world needs. Our tendency is to hit back. But Colossians 3.14 says, put on love. Put it on like a garment. And I want you to do that in the closing minutes of this service. I want you to put on love like a garment. I want you to put it over your head and let it fall down over your whole body put on love. Colossians 3, 14. How do you apply this with your companion, with your family members? Well, it sort of works like this. If there's a disagreement and you're sitting there in the room and the Cold War has ensued, you just sit back and look at her in a quiet manner, calm-like. And after a while, she will say, why are you looking at me that way? And you will say something like this. I'm studying you. You used to be the greatest, sweetest girl in the world. You were always kind to me, and I loved you for it. And now you're obviously upset and irritable, and I'm sitting here wondering why. Maybe it's my fault. Perhaps I'm just no good. And then she will start defending you against yourself. <laughs> it wins. It's called Christian psychology. <laughs> but it works. I have worked it time and time again. 
It works with anybody. You just don't get upset. You just don't fly off the handle. You hold a calmness. And you get your enemies to start defending you. By the power of your will. You see, I have said to my wife, I refuse to fight. It takes two to fight. And we don't fight. Maybe I'm so bad, I make you this way. Oh, no, no, no. And you're back into fellowship. Works on the job. It works with children because it's the Father's way. You get outside of yourself. The Discipleship Dynamics Group. If you were not here the night, they made their awards. I think it was the Sunday night before we left. Paul Williamson told of going to a home, three members of the team from Discipleship Dynamics, to visit a girl, 22 years of age. She happened to be in the hospital, according to the mother in the home. So the group decided to go to the hospital after some conversation, which is not the normal thing. The second mile and found a critically ill 22-year-old girl waiting for a liver transplant in the hospital. Those three presented the gospel to that girl. She received Christ into her heart. And a few days later, she died. Love. The second mile kind of love brought a girl into the kingdom of God who would be in the kingdom of darkness today if it had not been for agape love. Second mile love. Listen, little children, that's you and me. Let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our action. Listen, I give you a new commandment that you should love one another just as I have loved you. So you too should love one another. Listen. Be ye perfect in love even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect in love. He's never vindictive. God is a God of action. Love equals action. Be perfect in the same way the Father in heaven is perfect. Take those verses. Apply them in your life. And see the power of God explode in you until you can even talk to a man who doesn't understand you. And he will bow to the spirit of love. God's kind of love that is not prejudiced, that is not compromising but a love that embraces, a love that reaches through, a love that wins. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. O God, our Father, God of love and God of mercy and God of grace, thank you for the privilege of preaching your gospel again today.